Welcome to the Appalachian Baptist Network. We seek to equip, encourage, and engage pastors and church leaders in the Appalachian region. We focus on having conversations on church revitalization in the mountains and beyond. Your hosts are Matthew Jacobs, Brent Snyder, Jacob Gwynn, and Travis Tyler. Welcome back to the Appalachian Baptist Network. You're at a new church. Where do you start? That's today's question that we're teeing up. Where do you start in revitalization? If you're unfamiliar with some of the terms, I would refer you to go back to previous episodes. We've defined revitalization in church. We've also defined core values and some of those things. So go back and have a listen to those episodes. So we're just going to assume you already know those terms and what we mean by that. So you've been called to a church. Congratulations. You are a leadership person that is listening to this. And you're trying to figure out where do you start. Sometimes I have seen pastors start with the bylaws in a church. Is that a good idea, Brent? Terrible idea. Why is that? Maybe the worst idea. (laughs) (laughs) Well, one, it's one of the most contentious things that you can probably change. And I would even say that it's, in most revitalization scenarios that I'm familiar with, it's, even though there may be bylaws that need to be changed, it's certainly not the most important thing that needs to be addressed immediately. You're you're going to get bogged down in meetings where you're going to get questions about the structure of sentences and you, I remember I was in one church. This was the nightmare we tried. We tried to start with bylaws. We spent weeks on one sentence. Yeah. And it was like, it was a complete waste of time. Yeah. So we're not going to, I mean, you may, you may end up being able to do it. Not all situations are the same. Like you may find yourself in a situation where a church has spiraled quickly and they're on the back end of a decline pattern. And so you can make quick changes big fast. But in most cases and scenario, that's not a good place to start. Uh, I, I really am a big fan of the book of Nehemiah, and mm-hmm. I like, you know, Nehemiah's coming back in. He's trying to lead the people to rebuild the walls. If we look at Nehemiah, what's one of the first things we see Nehemiah doing here, first couple things we see him doing? Well, the, you see him you see him praying, and then you also see him assessing the, the situation. And it's interesting that you brought up Nehemiah as we were talking about planning for this podcast, because when we officially launched our revitalization effort as a church, the very first book that I preached through was Nehemiah mm-hmm. for this for this very reason. And I would encourage anyone, uh, any pastor, to consider preaching through uh, the book of Nehemiah as you begin the revitalization process. Not that's not the only book that could be used, but uh, there's you will certainly find a lot of value in it. I think personally, from a leadership perspective, but I think the church will also see a lot of value in it as they begin to assess their situation and assess the need for change going forward. But Nehemiah started with, with prayer and assessment. And of course, I'll even say this, before his prayer and assessment, it was clear that God had called him to this task. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah. you know, maybe we need to do a whole separate episode of what does it mean to be called to do this task. And so yeah. I would argue you need to be called to do this because you won't really make it through without mm-hmm. a, a call to endure this. All right, so he goes in, he starts with prayer. We see Nehemiah's heart begins to be broken by the things that break God's heart. Uh, And then he is excited about the things that God wants to do. And he starts the assessment process. And we see Nehemiah going around. He is assessing how bad the walls are broken down at each of the gates, how bad they're broken down at the north, south, east, and west. And he needs to get a material list together to start the work. What does the assessment phase look like for us as pastors? Well, I, I think it has to begin with personal assessment. 
Um, and that goes back to the call that you were talking about. Um, but I think you have to assess, you know, where am I at spiritually? Uh, where am I at in my leadership capabilities? And then, and then after that, I think the, the first big question to ask, especially if you're new to a church, is, is what does this church really believe about the gospel? Because most churches, most Southern Baptist churches that you go into, hopefully all Southern Baptist churches that you go into, you're not going to have any debate about whether or not they believe the gospel. But they believe the gospel to the extent that it has radically impacted their daily lives and the way that they're thinking about ministry. And if not, you really need to start thinking about that in, in your preaching and in your teaching. Um, I would even say expository preaching isn't the only way to go, but I'm definitely a fan of expository preaching. And if you have no idea what we say, what we mean when we say expository preaching, um, we probably just need to do a whole episode on that if we're going to address ex- expository preaching. Yeah. But um, consider, consider your style of preaching. Consider the way you're communicating Scripture. If you're preaching through books of the Bible, if you're topical, whatever the case may be, and, and figure out how that fits into this whole, this whole big picture of assessing the health of the church and moving the church through the assessment phase. Yeah. And uh, for just a quick definition for expository preaching, book by book, verse by verse, explaining what the, the structure, grammar, words mean uh, for, you know, what does it say, what does it mean, how does it apply? That's yeah. basically the three yeah. questions you're answering. Uh, then in the assessment, we're assessing the health of the church. We're assessing the health of individual members. Mm-hmm. We're also assessing who are the leaders in the church, right? Yeah. Uh, there, there are people who they may not hold the position, but there are people that the rest of the church looks to when there's a vote or there's a decision being made. How are they going to make their decision? Yeah. And then they will make a decision based on how they see that person making a decision. Absolutely. So knowing who those individuals are uh, is important. And sometimes they're very godly people. I found some of those people that are, for lack of a better word, I know this kind of feels dirty to say this, but power brokers in a church. Absolutely. That doesn't mean that they're ungodly all the yeah. time. Sometimes Absolutely. they're very godly. And and you got to understand that assess initially. You may say, "Well, that's easy." You know, who are the deacons? I'll just go to them. <coughs> the The most powerful person in the church may not be the chairman of the deacons. No. And and more oftentimes than not, probably isn't the most powerful person in the church. I I won't name the church or the person, but I think of a church right now in the Avery Association, and. They have some. They have some very godly people in their church, and one of the most influential people in that church is not a deacon, and is not even a man. And the lady is a godly lady, and she probably she probably makes decisions a lot better than some of the men oh, yeah. would. And yeah. she's not in a position of authority; doesn't seek to be in a position of authority. But if you want, if you went into that church this Sunday and needed information or needed to get something done, that's who you would need to talk to. There you go. So you're assessing this. You're you're also assessing. Uh, you need to know the age of your church. Mm-hmm. The average age of the congregation. I think when I arrived at Grace was 65. I don't know what it is now. It's lower now than it used to be. I've not looked at it lately. But you know, you think about the difference between a 35 year old and a 65 year old. There's a gap there. Yep. Uh, one thing I've noticed in in preaching. You know, we have two services here at Grace, and there are certain words and phrases that are understood 
um, sure. uh, traditional service yep. that are not in the younger. And then there are certain words and phrases that are offensive with an older group mm. that are not offensive with a younger group. Yeah. And so you've got to have a level of, of generational IQ. Yeah. Uh, I, for example, I can remember one time in a sermon I said, uh, that person's view is screwed up. Well, you know, I got pulled aside in the traditional yeah. service. You know, that you know what that means? That That is a... <laughs> Uh, that is a sexually charged word, and yeah. you can't use that. You shouldn't use that from the pulpit. And I got lectured about that. Well, I did it again, and not thinking about it at eleven, and nobody said anything. You yeah. know what I mean? Just and that generation just means messed up. Mm-hmm. You know, and of course, there's certain illustrations that one generation will understand yeah. and others will not. So, anyhow, uh, you need to assess your core values. Yeah. What? What? How can we figure out core values of a church? I think the easiest the easiest way is to just ask people mm-hmm. what what when I ask you what does this church value what do you what do you value and that's probably the easiest way and probably the most important way to go about assess, assessing because you can you got to get people to be honest you can assume values and you got to be careful careful I know we talked about this in a previous F episode to make sure that people aren't sharing aspirational values right. as core values. And so even as you hear from people, well, evangelism is a core value. You really have to assess and say, okay, where's the fruit of evangelism? If there's no fruit of evangelism in this church, that's not a core value. That's an aspirational value. And so you have to be able to assess even as people are sharing with you. Also, you can have core beliefs from a good, solid, biblical core value, but you can have core beliefs that are not necessarily biblical based on that value. I know that sounds crazy, but let me give you an example. Uh, I was pastoring in a church, and the core value the church had was to missions education for children. Okay? So that's the core value. That's a good core value. Children should be educated, you know, as they grow up in the church about missionaries, what they do, how we support them. And this particular member I was talking to believed at a core level, she told me this, that uh, I asked her, so, well, do you care more about, you know, that kids are being educated. We were looking at a different program than RAs and GAs. Mm-hmm. And and she said, no, it's RAs and GAs. There's no other way to do it. Like she had a core yeah. belief that yeah. it had to be that. Now, I'm not knocking RAs and GAs. Right. It was just at that particular juncture, we were looking at Team Kid and different things like that, which is also an SBC mm-hmm. curriculum and had the same kind of education. But, yeah. you know, it was just a little bit of confusing practice for principal. Mm-hmm. And I would say when you're asking people in the church about core values, maybe a helpful way to phrase it, because when you ask core values, more oftentimes than not, you're probably going to get aspirational values. Probably. But if you phrase the question, what are the things you love most about this church and what this church does? Then you're really going to start getting to the core values, I think, because some people are going to say, well, I love how friendly everyone is. Mm -hmm. And so then fellowship is a core value. Um, I love I love the the Bible teaching, right? I, I love um, I love the the expository preaching if that's there. And so then all of a sudden, but just by asking what people really like about the church, you're really asking them what they value about the church. You're and what happens at the church, you get a better idea of what the actual values are, rather than just saying, "Hey, what are your core values?" Because then they're just going to give you the answer that they think you want to hear if you're not careful. That's right. Um, you need to address and look at community and culture and assess that. Now, we've had episodes here. There are some unique parameters in the Appalachian culture that, you know, people are not 
they're very nice, but not a lot of times quick to trust mm -hmm. in different innovations. Uh, there can be other things that I've noticed, like in our county, for example, you know, there are areas that are kind of tribal. You drove through Hampton coming down here today, right? Yep. Now, when you go, you know where the high school sits on the right side of the road, right? Correct, yep. Do you know what the other side of the four lanes called there? I don't. That's Rittertown. And if you talk to somebody from Rittertown, they won't tell you they're from Hampton. Even though you could stand in Rittertown, you can see Hampton High School. Right. They're from Rittertown. They're not from Hampton. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so they hold on to these kind of yeah. cultural distinctives. Yeah. And uh, yeah. their children went to Hampton High School. You know what I mean? But but they're from Rittertown. Yeah. And so they're, you've got to be kind of aware of, you know, people's thoughts. Well, even in Minneapolis where I'm at, perfect example, you if you listen to the podcast often, you'll hear us talk about Dogtown and refer to Minneapolis as Dogtown. And sometimes I jokingly say that I pastor First Baptist Dogtown. But there are people in my church that Dogtown is offensive to them. Oh, really? And it's, you know, we're from Minneapolis. But then there are other people that, we're not from Minneapolis, we're from Dogtown. So it's even like within the same community. Mm -hmm. there, and so you have to be careful, you know, how you, how you even refer to the community around you. Because you may be new to the community, you may be new to your church, and a young person might come up to you and refer to the people in the community a certain way. Right. And then you say, oh, all right, that's cool. And then you use that same terminology with someone older, and it may be offensive to them. Right. You know? So you've got to be careful, even within community, understand the dynamics that are at play, even within the immediate culture. Which leads into the next thing is ministry opportunities, assessing where there are opportunities for the church to serve. Maybe your church is near a school. You could offer and help with homework or tutoring after the mm -hmm. school. You know, if you're not near the school, that may not be an option for you. You know, if you're next to a hospital, maybe you can help with the hospital. You know what I mean? Or I know there's a church here locally. There, they share a parking lot with a local school, and then the school uses their building for different administrative things. So they have sort of this codependent relationship. You know what I mean? So those are great ways that you can do different ministry opportunities. And we've probably we we probably missed this because it ties into a lot of these areas in assessment. But you also also should assess the history of the church. Mm -hmm. And I, I was thinking about that as we're, we're talking about ministry because you may want to try to do ministry, but you may run into some brick walls that have been built over the course of history because of bad relationships between the community and the church or people in the community that were once a part of the church. Right. And as we said before, you know, pies are great, but people don't forget. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's right. Well, you know, there's one church I know of here in Carter County that um, they had a local guy that they hired, which is not an uncommon practice here. And the it went sideways. I don't know what happened. I think the guy was uh, not as, they were a different place with their soteriology. Mm. And so uh, he left and they put on from the, from that point forward, they would not hire any local pastors. They were from that County and that they probably are knocking, you know, and it goes back to what you're saying there. It's like, I don't know that that's a good practice, but that's what yeah. they, they wanted outsiders. Uh, in addition to this, one of the things that we should also assess is the church's ability and or palate, maybe palate's a better word, for change. There is a pace that a church can change at. There is a breakneck speed, and there is a comfortable speed, and then there is a, you know, let's not do anything speed. And you have to sort of assess. Um, good question here. If you're coming into a new church, should you make any major changes in the first six months or a year? 
I've heard a lot of people say absolutely don't even think about making any significant changes in the first 12 months is, is what you typically hear. And I, I would say I have a tendency to agree with that. But I would also say keep your eyes open. Don't miss low-hanging fruit. Yeah. And it, sometimes low-hanging fruit might be substantial. You know, it might be a considerable change. Depending on where the church, it's part of the assessment. Where's the church at right now? What are their needs and what are their, what's their openness their willingness to change certain areas. And so I wouldn't say go into a church and with the dead set mind of for 12 months, I'm not even going to think about change. But I would say go in with the expectation that I'm probably not going to be able to change anything in 12 months. If I run across some low-hanging fruit, then okay. But And considerable changes, major changes, service times, t- venues, uh, building, you know, major changes to the church's life. They do need a settle time, yeah. you know. Uh, some I've heard that as much as six months or more, depending on the size of the church, to let that kind of settle in before you hit another. Because sometimes you can have so many new changes that are initiated that uh, the church will, you know, just you'll be a leader going for a walk instead of have people following you. Yeah. So let the changes settle in, even good changes. Uh, and assessing that palatability for that may be difficult. You might want to try something small that doesn't matter if it goes through or not yeah. to sort of test the waters and see where you are. Uh, another another thing that makes churches easier is crisis, like we're mm-hmm. you know experiencing now with this virus. It's a good time. You can sometimes springboard needed leadership changes. So uh, lots of options. And, and two, in the change in 12 months, you got to realize change takes time anyway because – you know, I'm just, uh, we were thinking, we were talking about assessment. We were talking about, you know, doing the assessment at a personal level. But you're going to have to slowly, as a pastor, ex- expand your circle, you know, that's helping you with assessment, whether that's the deacons or whatever sort of core group. I know one of the things we did, I'm hesitant to share, like, personal examples because it's not cookie-cutter formula, but I know that s- actual steps can be helpful for people sometimes. Even before I started preaching through Nehemiah, even before we officially launched the revitalization effort, I guess you could say, on Wednesday nights we were doing a Bible study together and we were using David Platt's Radical Together Mm -hmm. as sort of a, a framework for our discussion. And one of the reasons I chose that is because uh, Platt does a really good job of talking about how good is the enemy of best in the mm-hmm. church. And how we should to, how we should be willing to put everything on the table, and if it's not best, we need to knock it out of the way. Yeah, we need to get rid of it. We because we're we're struggling right now. We're we're in need of revitalization, and so we don't have the resources or the time to be concerned about what's good. We probably don't need to be concerned about what's good anyway. We need to be concerned about what's best, and so. Wednesday night for us, probably most churches, that's your core group of people. Mm-hmm. You know, your power, your power players are going to be there, if you will. Your people that love the church, that are committed to the church, are going to be there. And so there was already this openness to let's get everything on the table. Let's get everything on the table. And so this core group is already has a mind to assess, and then you you just build off of that. And um, as we're thinking about assessment, and we're thinking about how we do that too. Uh, we need to also take a look at our Sunday morning worship. Mm-hmm. You know, what what's going on? I remember I read one revitalization book, and he said he just asked the church for a year to really think about that. And and going along with this is how we need to assess 
what first-time visitors are experiencing yes. when they come to the church. Question is, how do we do that? Some of the people that are listening to this may have been at their church for a long time, and so they don't have the fresh eyes that the pastor may have if he's Absolutely. new. How do we get a visitor's perspective on the church? Because I think most churches think they're friendly, Absolutely. and they are to each other, but they may not be friendly to new people. I have never, I've never asked the church... Why? Whose fault is it that people aren't attending? And their immediate answer is, well, it's us. We need to be something different. More oftentimes than not, every time I've asked that question, people just don't value church anymore. You know, it's always, it, it's the fault of the people who aren't attending, you know. They'll say, yes, we need to change, but when you really get down to it, you know, are people not attending because of because of you or something you're doing? No, no, no. They're not attending because people just don't buy. These young people don't want to get out of bed on Sunday mornings, you know. People don't value you coming to church anymore. And maybe there's some truth to that. But um, there's oftentimes in the revitalization process, there's an unwillingness initially to take ownership of the problem. Mm. And there's a tendency to push the problem off on somebody else. Say so if they would just get right, then it would be okay. Well, let's let's be good pastors and let's ease them into that. What's yeah. a way that we can ease them into responsibility? Well, Rainer has uh, I can't remember which book it is. I, I'm I think it might be. I'll have to look it up. I'll maybe I'll put it in the show notes. But uh, he has a he he recommends something called a um, mystery visitor, mm. where he he tells somebody. You know, he puts out an ad on like Facebook or Craigslist and says, if you'll come assess our church, I'll give you a form. You fill it out. When you turn it in, I'll give you a gift card. You can take your family out to eat. Yeah. And uh, you, or you can go out to eat. And so, and then he takes that data that he collects and he gives it to the leaders of the church mm-hmm. to read. And then, you know, you know, and it's got very simple questions like, you know, did, who was the first person that greeted you? How was the signage? You know, what... Was were people kind to you whenever you left? Did it, how many people spoke to you while you were there? You know, were you able to find what you needed at the bathroom and different things like that? Just pretty basic stuff. I mean, you could make your own up. Yeah. So um, that is a way I think to sort of because I, I think what's common. You know, I I had a friend that came in. Of course, I'd known him for years, and I didn't pay him for these answers, but I asked him a series of questions after he came to worship here. And uh, one of the things I found, and I, I mentioned it to our greeters, and it was real helpful, was we did a pretty good job of greeting people when they came in the door. And then, but after they sat down, like everybody just sort of left them alone. Yeah. It was sort of like they had yeah. a plague or something. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> they're, they're kind of just sitting in the church. Yeah. And like we greet, we did a good job greeting them when they got in the door. Yeah. And then they go sit down, and then everybody leaves them alone. You know yeah. what I mean? And so I think just some simple reminders. My wife is really, really good at this. Like, she will just get up and go sit with first-time visitors. Like, mm-hmm. And you you think about it. Like, if you're in a church service for the first time by yourself, and you don't know anybody there, how comforting is it for somebody to get up and sit with you? You know? So. Okay. So next step here after assessment, I think we're looking at some internal adjustments. Mm-hmm. Because we're trying to keep our eye towards being more out-focused and outwardly. But if you've got, you know, maybe you've got some Sunday morning adjustments you need to make to the worship. You know, we love Sister Odell. Steve Harvey talks about Sister Odell. You know, she makes up music and sings a song every Sunday. And maybe Sister Odell don't get to do that every week. Maybe you have to cut that back a little bit, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, but uh, you know, there's just some some adjustments that are made, and mm-hmm. how people are are 
receive when they come in, yeah. the signage that's there. Some, but, but it's keeping its eye towards Great Commission faithfulness and towards outreach orientation. Yeah. Uh, a lot of times we may be coming in churches that maybe they're not in real bad shape with deferred maintenance. They might be a little bit, say, dated. Mm-hmm. And so we want to make it a little bit easier, more accommodating for people to come in, right? Uh, and then we want some of our big leadership initiatives in the early part to be more outreach focused after that, right? Yeah. So we're trying to make those adjustments, getting ready for the new people that God is going to send and and uh, and then doing that. Because when we're having this conversation, we have to think about, you know, we've talked in the last episode about the church scattered and gathered. Mm-hmm. When we're doing these assessments, we have to think about the church visible and invisible, yeah. right? Uh, part of the invisible crew are those that have gone on to be with the Lord, but the other part of the invisible church are those that will come to Christ and will be a part of the church in the future. Right. And we have to think about that whenever we're doing these assessments and, and orienting these plans. So yeah. anything else we need to, to cover today? I think we covered most of it, didn't we? Yeah, definitely. Definitely. As far as assessment goes, just be patient, you know, don't, don't rush the assessment phase, but also, also don't get stuck in the assessment phase. Don't right. just continually be assessing and never, never trying to pluck any of that low-hanging fruit you come across as, as you do the assessment. But, but don't rush the assessment. A lot of revitalizers or visionaries always thinking about the future, and so um, don't get the cart ahead of the horse on these things. That's good. All right. Thank you all. Join us next time. You have been listening to the Appalachian Baptist Network. Thanks for joining us. If you have a question or comment for our host, please send an email to Network at gmail.com or send us a voice message on our Anchor website page at anchor.fm slash Appalachian dash Baptist dash network. Join us again next Monday.